The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. My name is Lisa. Um, I grew up in a loving, Christ-centered home. I don't ever remember not knowing Christ. However, when I was seven, I attended the VBS kids program at our church. And one night there, I learned that if I accepted Jesus into my heart, my sins would be washed white as snow, and I would live in heaven someday. On the drive home, I was distraught when I realized I forgot to talk to the teacher. However, my parents were thrilled that they got to pray with me as I asked Jesus to be Lord of my life that night in August 1979. In June of 1988, when I was in grade 11, I was baptized by immersion at my home church of Westwood Community Church here in Winnipeg. After high school, I attended Bethany Bible Institute in Saskatchewan for two years. I learned so much about the Bible and a relationship with Christ. I also made many lifelong friends. It was here that I met my husband, Kevin, and we were married on June 12, 1993. God blessed us with three living children. Our oldest, Rachel, married her Bible college sweetheart last year. Matthew is in his third year at Miller College of the Bible in Saskatchewan, and David is in grade 12. My faith was significantly challenged just before I went to Bible school. A close church friend suddenly announced that he was now an atheist. I had a lot of questions and confusion in the months following. A couple of years later, he was killed instantly in a car accident, which again rocked my faith. Ultimately, these experiences helped define and solidify my faith in God. There have been other hard times where I've experienced the Lord in a new and deep way. In 1999, we lost a baby due to an ectopic pregnancy. God showed his love by surrounding us with caring friends and family during that time. I remember specifically giving to God my desire to have more children. I didn't want Rachel to be an only child, but I told God if that was his will, I would accept it and I would praise him anyway. A year later, Matthew was born. His name means gift of God, and I thank God for his gift. I've also experienced God's sense of humor. He decided that he'd give us another unexpected gift and sent David a couple of years later. In March of 2000, Kevin's dad suddenly passed away while on a mission assignment in Zimbabwe, Africa. I know what God's comfort is because I truly experienced it during this time in a supernatural way. Again, we felt God's love and peace through our small group, family, and friends. We experienced the care God intended us to give each other in the body of Christ. I've participated in various Bible studies and learned a lot over the years. One study in particular stands out, Henry Blackaby's Experiencing God course. I learned that God speaks to me in ways I never realized. I continue to be reminded of the importance of being in relationship with God, not just serving him. There have been various times where God has prompted me to do things way out of my comfort zone. Things like moving to a foreign country for three years, leading a women's Bible study group, leading a worship ministry at our local church, and starting a new small group with strangers. I learned firsthand how God gifts and equips his people when we trust him. These all turned out to be stretching yet amazing experiences.
A couple of years ago, I went through a particularly hard time. I felt like things were caving in from every angle. Job loss, marriage stuff, house and vehicle issues, a health crisis. I'm not saying things were anywhere near what Job experienced in the Bible, but it felt like things were falling apart. Sometimes healing is a slow process, and I'm thankful for God's faithfulness throughout the journey. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 have become life verses for me. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We've been attending White Ridge since the fall of 2019. I confess I wasn't looking forward to starting over again at a new church, but I am so grateful that God directed us here. He has already blessed us with deep, rich, healing relationships. I look forward to growing more in my relationship with God and with others in this community. I grew up in a small town on a farm in Saskatchewan to loving Christian parents. I also have a younger sister. I invited Christ into my life at a very early age. Our church was around 60 to 80 people. It was the only evangelical church in town. I had one other Christian friend in my class at school, and we were the only two Christians for two grades up and two grades down. So Sunday school and youth group was often just him and I. I also knew that Christians acted differently than other people. I didn't drink, smoke, go to parties like the other kids did. I was baptized by immersion in 1983 at the age of 13, understanding that I was following the biblical direction of repent and be baptized, and that it was a public confession of my faith in Jesus Christ. I never went through a rebellious stage of life where I rejected the teachings that I was brought up with. After high school, I spent three years at Bethany Bible Institute. I learned a lot about the Bible and made lots of friends, and we know Kevin Clausen, our worship pastor from there. I moved to Winnipeg after that, due to meeting Lisa at Bridal College, and we were married in 1993. We were very involved in our church, Westwood Mennonite Brethren, in small groups and music ministry for many years. In 2008, our fam family followed God's direction, and we moved to Minneapolis for three years with my employer, Cargill, who I've been with for 26 years now. It was a great experience for us, and we can see how God worked in our lives and changed us through that time. We still have many close friends from our time down there. So, why are we here at White Ridge? After moving back to Winnipeg, we had been attending another church for about eight years. But the last couple of years there, we were feeling disconnected, even while being involved with the church's ministry in a small group. We had planned to wait to change churches until all of our kids were out of high school. But just over a year ago, after discussion and prayer, we decided it was time to attend somewhere else. We were thinking of checking out a few churches, but started attending here in September, on September 15th, 2019, and have never gone anywhere else. We have quickly become connected to people here. I have really appreciated the men's conquer groups I've been a part of, and developed some very close relationships with a number of guys, even though I've only known them a short time. I have a number of guys who I know I can call on at any time, who truly are my brothers. In the church, we often want to be, you know, shiny, happy people. 
It's time for church, so dress up, put a smile on your face while you're here. In our Conquer groups, we have learned that honesty and vulnerability are the keys to healthy living and being able to take sweet revenge on the enemy. I love being involved and appreciate the opportunities I have to lead a men's group here at church. Lisa and I look forward to getting to know many more of you as we serve and worship together. God continues to work in my life, smoothing off the rough edges. Psalm 66, verses 16 to 20. Come and hear, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. My goal is that every year's year as I look back, I can see that I am not the same person I was before, that I have changed and taken steps to be closer to who God wants me to be. We're about to open up God's Word together, and we're going to be seeing this on video. Dave and Lorraine Barton are reading today's scripture from the book of James. Let's watch that. Good morning. We're David and Lorraine Barton. It's our privilege this morning to read scripture with you. We'll be reading from James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. Two kinds of wisdom. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Thank you, Dave and Lorraine, for sharing God's word with us today. You know, uh, just before coming up here, the thing that just really hit me as we were praising God were those words, Jesus, take all of me. I run to you, I run to you, I lay everything at your feet. May my life be yours. That is the root of belonging. It's giving everything that God has created me to be and saying, Lord, it belongs to you. And because I belong to you, I also belong to everyone who considers you their child. There is neither Jew, nor Greek, nor Gentile, nor slave, nor free, nor male, nor female. Uh, that, we're all one in Christ. That doesn't mean that there's not differences. It means that those differences are delightful. They're things to be celebrated in. They're not differences that cause division. And so because I belong to God, the beauty is I also, we also belong to each other. Because we belong to one father. He has one family. He has one bride. And that's the essence of belonging. And that's such an important thing for us to remember in a world that's so divided in so many different ways. Is that because we belong to God, 
We belong to those who have given their life to Christ. We are a family. We are one. You belong here. I'm so thankful for Kevin and Lisa sharing their testimony. When we hear people share about lives being changed because they've given their lives to Christ, we automatically have a connection and a union that we just know that we can, we can explore that. We can become friends. We can learn to love each other. But the belonging in has already taken place because we belong to our Savior. He owns us. And I can say, I belong to you. That's language we don't use very often. We talk about being connected, but then you're disconnected. But as a Christian, I belong to you as my brothers and sisters in Christ. And you belong to me. There's an intimate caring that's meant to take place there because that's the way God cares for us. And we have much to learn, but we have a God who's willing to lead us and grow us. And praise God for that. I hope that our church is a place where we experience the belonging of Christ together, and we also extend that to others. Friends of mine started a ministry a number of years ago called Forever Families, and I'm very encouraged by the work that's being done to help churches engage in our communities to show care and love in our communities. They have a symposium coming up at the beginning of November called the Belong Symposium, and you can see there's a number of topics there. There's uh, rooting for rivals, ending poverty together, uh, intro to trauma care. The one that I just want to highlight today is that there's one that's called Racism in the Church. And it's a two-hour session on a Friday afternoon. And you know what? We see racism taking a big impact in our world. And that is contrary to the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is unity. The wisdom of God is belonging. And we as a church have something to do about that within our own church family and also within the world we live in. We have a message of peace and love and belonging that the world needs to hear. Everything about Christ is absolutely good news. And so that's what we need to enter into more and more together. So I want to encourage you, you can check, we've put that information on our website. You can sign up each session, I think it's $10, a very affordable cost for wisdom. And I'd ask that you consider doing that. So now let's get into our passage for today. And the title of the message is, first of all, my name's Doug Friesen. I'm, if I'm going to belong to you, you should at least know my name. My name's Doug Friesen. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, the, the title of the message today is The Wisdom We Live By. And uh, so when we look at this portion of Scripture, James 3, verses 13 to 18, we learn a lot of things about the wisdom that we truly live by. And I hope today will be an eye-opener for us to help us say, Lord, I, I want to live more and more in you. I know I'm saved in you, but I want to live more and more in you so I live in the wisdom that you provide. James has said uh, in the beginning of this chapter, Terry's going to be talking about this next week. It's about people who want to be leaders. And then he says, just, you know, don't crave that position. There's a lot of, there's a extra uh, judging responsibility that comes with it. But watch your tongue. The tongue is a really wild animal. It can't be tamed. It, it's full of restless evil. That's what the, those verses talk about. And then he gets on to verse 13, and he says to the people who are maybe thinking of becoming teachers, but it's actually for anybody who's in the church, who is wise and understanding among you? It's a rhetorical question, and the word wise and understanding can be thought to mean, who has the ability to live life well? Who is mature and understands the ways of God? 
That's really what that, that question is saying. And it says, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. That's an interesting phrase, in the meekness of wisdom. You could also say it this way, in the humility that comes from wisdom. In the humility that comes from wisdom. Now think of what we hear in Proverbs. Proverbs says, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So if you understand that, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. If I am in that type of a relationship with God, I'm put in my proper loving place to be humble before him. And when my heart is humble, then I know how to engage the world. Then I know how to love others. It's from a place of meekness. It's a place where there's power, but it's in control. You don't have nothing to prove because God has proven it all already. And so humility that comes from wisdom is what it's saying. But isn't it interesting, this phrase, by his good conduct? Are you wise? Are you understanding? I don't need to hear you say that about yourself. I need to be able to see that from your life. That's the proof of wisdom. Wisdom is not measured by degrees, but by deeds. If you just want to say about how much knowledge I have, you can say, yeah, well, I went to college, I went to, got my bachelor's, my master's, my doctor. I have lots of knowledge. I have degrees. But that doesn't say that you're wise. Wisdom is shown by how you live. It's shown by the deeds and humility that are offered to others because of how God has treated you. That's how you treat others. So this phrase, by his good conduct, has this meaning or this understanding of the mode of life, the way that you live your life. That's how you know if you're wise or not. It's the way of wisdom. A lifestyle that is shaped by one source of wisdom. If you want to know what type of wisdom you have, you need to examine the way you're living your life. Not just the times you're planning to be a Christian and do things that are for God. All day, 24 hours, this is my life. Lord, when I look at it, where is the source of wisdom that I'm living from? It's a litmus test for all of us. And that's where it starts. It's not so much for me to judge your life as me to be looking at my own saying, who am I trusting for wisdom? And, am I li- and how am I living well? The Bible says in Hebrews 13, verse 7, it says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Spiritual leaders need to speak the word of God clearly to those they lead. That's the, at the forefront of what a, what a spiritual leader is. It's sharing God with others from his word saying this is what you need to hear about God because God has said it about himself and it's true. God has said it about you and it's true. God has said it about this world and it's true. That's why you need to know it. But then it says, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. You only know if a spiritual leader is truly wise when you see the outcome of the way they live their life. You can hear me say or anyone else say something over the pulpit and listen to YouTube and other videos and you hear great messages and they will be good messages. Hopefully they're all based on the word of God and they will come back with fruit because whenever God's word goes out, it doesn't go void. But that doesn't tell you that the person speaking is wise. Wisdom is when you see the outcome of how someone lives. Because it's very easy to say one thing and live another way. 
So that's why it's important when we talk about belonging that we make time in our lives to be together. Not just for Bible studies or Sunday morning or going on a missions trip, but in such a way that we actually start having our lives intertwine a little bit more. And you get to see, wow, that's what wisdom looks like. When you see someone else just living, and and they don't even know that you're watching, but you get to see the wisdom of God in their life by the way they live. And hopefully others see that in you as well. Our deeds are important for wisdom. They don't save us, but they're an indication that we're saved and that we have the life of the Holy Spirit in us. So let's give an example. We spent this whole summer talking about Joseph. And Joseph is uh, one person in the Bible that there's nothing bad said about. Uh, But he was mistreated by his brothers. He was thrown into a well. He was sent into slavery. He was accused of trying to rape someone, put into prison. And then he helped someone in prison. That person totally forgets that he was helped. And he just, he's just in prison. It always says that God's favor was on him, though, even in the midst of all these hard circumstances. And then one day, Pharaoh has a dream, and it really disturbs him. And it says all his magicians couldn't help him. They couldn't tell him what this dream was about. But then this cupbearer that Joseph had helped earlier said, oh, I know a man who can tell you the meaning of your dreams. And so Pharaoh invited Joseph and said, I hear you can interpret dreams. Can you tell me what mine means? And this is very important. This is the first thing that Joseph says to Pharaoh as far as what we know in the word of God. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable response. You've heard a reputation that I can do these things. Just be clear, it's not me, it's God. That's humble. (laughs) That's saying, yeah, it's not about me, it's all about my God. So Pharaoh tells the dream. He tells the dream about these these, uh, cows and about these sheaves. And Joseph listens to it and he says, well, this is what it means. It means that there's going to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. So get ready for that. And what he says just astounds Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom the Spirit of God exists? And then he looks at Joseph and he says, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning as, as wise as you are. Do you see how important it is? Joseph has not known Pharaoh very long. But right off the bat, Joseph has made it clear, anything that's worthwhile that comes from my life is from God. And Pharaoh knew that right away. That's a beautiful way to say, here's wisdom. It's shown by the deeds. It's not just what's been said, but how one's lived. And so there's, it's evident in our behavior. And then, so Joseph was given responsibility really over all of Egypt for the rest of his life. And you can be sure that everybody who encountered Joseph understood the wisdom of God, not just by what came out of his mouth, but how he led the country, how he led everything. That's wisdom by our behavior. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.12, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. That's the admonition for all of us. Live such good lives that they accuse you of doing wrong, they may glorify God because of why? Your good deeds, not just the words that came out of your mouth, the good deeds you did. What's an example of this? 
Why would they accuse us as Christians of wrongdoing? One example could be valuing the dignity of life in a way that other people would say, no, I don't view life that way. And we'd say, well, you know what? We believe that every life is precious. From the moment of conception, there's a life in a mother's womb. We believe abortion's wrong because it's taking away a life of a baby. Now, lots of the world will say, well, we totally disagree with that, and we think you're limiting someone's right. Okay, so that would be an example of saying, here's something that we say, well, we want to not just say that abortion's wrong, well, we want to say that we want to be people who love people who are in situations where they might be considering abortion. Are we people who aren't just willing to say what's wrong, but to, to come alongside people and love them, care for them, offer them help? Do we have people in our church who say, you know what, I'd be willing to be a foster parent? Or other people say, well, I'd be willing to come alongside you in that ministry and, and that love of that child. It's not enough to say something. We have to do something. That's what wisdom is. And when people see that, even though they might not glorify God now, when Christ comes again and they see things clearly, they will say, Lord, you always made yourself known because some people didn't just speak the truth, they lived the truth and they will glorify our Father in heaven. That's hugely important. Well, let's keep moving on as far as the wisdom we live by. It's easily either earthly or from above. Earlier in James, James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all and he will give it to you without reproach. So if you lack wisdom, ask God, he will give it to you. Here James wants you to be aware that all your life you are living by some type of wisdom. And if you don't have the wisdom of God, he'll give it to you. But if you're not living by that, you are living by a different type of wisdom. And it's a deathly wisdom. It's an earthly wisdom. And we need to be aware that it exists. There's always something driving our life as far as wisdom. James says in verses 14, verse 15, 14 and 15, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, it is unspiritual, it is demonic. These are strong words. We shouldn't just listen to them lightly. So first of all, he's saying, what are the evidences that this wisdom isn't from God? There's bitter jealousy in this type of wisdom. There is selfish ambition in this type of wisdom. And it's really important to understand that these two qualities, they reside within our heart. So no matter what's coming out of my mouth, it might be loving, it might be, sound peaceful, but inside my heart, I'm jealous. Inside my heart, I have selfish ambition. The Bible says that from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So sometimes, you know, when you have those unguarded moments and something comes out of your mouth that you just go, ooh. It's terrible when that happens. I, I, I hate it when that happens in some ways. But on other hands, I say, Lord, thank you for that because you just showed me that there's something that's still in my heart that I haven't surrendered to you. There's something that still needs to be restored, to be healed. There's something that needs to be purified. So when you have those moments, do what's right after that. Confess to God, and he will forgive you, and confess to whoever you've hurt by the words or the deeds you've done, and they will forgive you. That's how belonging continues in Christian community, is we confess when we've done wrong, and we ask for forgiveness. But this type of wisdom is bitterly jealous and has selfish ambition. 
then it's boasting. It says, don't, and he's saying, don't boast about being wise if you're jealous in your heart. And also, if you're doing that, you're false to the truth. If you're preaching and teaching and saying things of God, but you have that jealousy, that selfish ambition, you're being false to the truth. So be careful of that. Be leery of that. That's what worldly wisdom is. And its source should terrify you. The source, first of all, is earthly. That means it's imperfect. It's short-lived. It's temporary. It looks wise for the day. It feels right in the moment. It's what I need now, even though I know it's going to harm me in the long run. It's what I need now. That's earthly wisdom. It's unspiritual, meaning it's not of God. It's just natural. It, it, there's, nothing, there's nothing eternal about it. And this is the one that should really kind of cause us to stop. It's demonic. It's of an evil spirit. It's of Satan. This earthly wisdom. It's not from above. So I want to give you an example from Scripture about where we see this. Because examples in Scripture usually help us understand truths like this. We read in, in uh, Mark 12, we read about the Pharisees and the Herodians wanting to trap Jesus uh, in a conversation. They just don't like him. They're envious of him. They have selfish ambition in their heart. And then this is what we read. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are true and you don't care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but you truly teach the way of God. So here's people who dislike Jesus, hate him, and they're saying, We know that you truly teach the way of God. Sounds really nice on the outside. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? So what they said, nothing sounds actually bad. It actually sounds kind of honoring. They're looking for wisdom for Jesus. Isn't that what they're trying to do? Sounds really nice. Doesn't reflect what's in their heart at all, and Jesus knows that. But knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus said to them, why do you put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and look at it. And they brought him one, and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. And they marveled at him, and they said, No more. Can you see how earthly wisdom and godly wisdom can be so tricky to discern when we're not sure about what's in our hearts? People listening to that conversation between the Pharisees and Jesus, they probably would have thought, Those guys are asking really good, wise questions. Those are good men. But they had envy in their heart. They were doing things for the totally wrong reasons. And so we need to be aware that there's an earthly wisdom that can sound heavenly, <laughs> and there is heavenly wisdom. The problem for us is that we don't live in either wisdom perfectly. <laughs> we live in both. I, I love the theme of James, pursuing what matters to God, evidence of a genuine faith. And the picture that we've been using of a, of a beautiful tree that's reflected in a still water beneath it. And it's not a perfect reflection, but it's a good reflection. What we need to remember is that that's, sort of, that's a good picture of our walk with God. We have a God who's beautiful, perfect, whole. And we can reflect him, but we don't reflect him perfectly. But it can become ever 
more so as we walk with him on the reliance of the Holy Spirit on this side of heaven, and it will be perfectly reflective when we're in eternity with him, without sin in our lives. I say that as we come to talk about what is this wisdom from above, and the first quality that is mentioned is that this wisdom from above is pure. So imagine that tree, and if that water had pollution dropped in it, and all that water was murky and muddy, you wouldn't see really anything, you'd just see ugly. And that's why God says the first quality of wisdom from above is pure. And the only way that happens is if you submit your life to me and allow the blood of Christ to pay for your sins. When that happens, you're pure. You are in Christ, you are saved. It doesn't mean you're going to live that way perfectly until you die and are in eternity, but it means that you, God has cleansed you. And then the next one, it says that we are peacemakers, so that we're peaceable, that we live in unity. Thinking about the, the water there too, if the water was clear and you can see the, the tree nice, what happens when you just kind of throw a few pebbles in it and there's ripples? And it takes away that image. It doesn't look so good. Or if you throw a big rock in, <laughs> might sound nice, but it, it doesn't reflect well. And so when I'm not living at peace with God, my example is not very perfect, is not very beautiful. And so wisdom from above is also peaceable. It's gentle. It's considerate of others. It's never pushy or domineering. It's open to reason. So let's understand this, that if you and I are walking with the Lord and we're praying about a situation that we're in and God's given you wisdom and God's given me wisdom, but our wisdoms don't agree, well, now we need to talk about it. So what is it that we're meant to learn from each other to find the best wisdom in this? Because God's given you an aspect of that. He's given me an aspect. It's iron sharpens iron. But sometimes we're scared to do that because we're scared when sparks fly. And God says, no, that's part of what, what wisdom is. Peace isn't at any cost. Peace needs to be because purity exists. And purity will only exist when we really talk with each other well. And we talk about things that we disagree on even. But we say, I've submitted this to God, let's talk about it, let's work through it. So we have to be open to reason. We need to be full of mercy and good fruit. The Bible says so much about mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Praise God for that. The phrase that God has continually been bringing to my mind the last few years is unmerited favor. Making sure that I realize how much of that I'm experiencing from him and why that's important that I give that to others. But Lord, they don't deserve it. Yeah, no, either do you, Doug unmerited favor, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, unwavering. This comes back to the idea of when you ask for wisdom, don't doubt. Be sure that you know God will give it to you. So in this type of wisdom, when you know that this is wisdom from above, you don't doubt that this is what God wants you to do. You, you believe that God gives it to you. And sincere, there's no hypocrisy. It's not like how the Pharisees were talking with Jesus making it sound like, oh, this is, you know, we respect you, we like you. What you say is true. But inside their heart, it was completely different. That's not wisdom from above. So the wisdom we live by then 
is easily earthly or spiritual, but it's either a promoter of evil or of righteousness. Verse 16 says, For where you have jealous and selfish ambition, there will be disorder and vile practice, and every vile practice. So again, let's remember that the jealousy and the selfish ambition, that's again, that's, that's a heart issue. These are things that we're allowing to shape how we think, how we are. And this is even again as Christians. It's in us to be jealous and to have selfish ambition. And when we go down that road of accepting earthly wisdom, there's going to be, it says there will be disorder and every vile practice. Disorder you could think of because this is talking about communal life, and about life together, that could be that it's going to cause disunity. It's going to be dysfunctional. And the vile practice, it's not really talking about any type of evil. It's talking about the interpersonal sins that takes place. It's disputes among us. It's going to cause division and, and anger among people when we live out of that type of wisdom. James 4, verse 1, which we will get to in two weeks, it just says this. It says... What causes the quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? There's, there's things that you just, you're at war inside of yourself, and it just comes out. And that's what causes the, the wars and the fights. Meanwhile, the Bible says, the heavenly wisdom, the wisdom from above, looks like this. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This is a beautiful thing about wisdom from God. What we receive, we give to others. It says here that we are supposed to sow in peace. I've received peace from God. That's what I sow to others. This is how life is all meant to be. We give to others what we know that we've received from God. This is, this is heavenly wisdom. Receive from God, give to others. And then what happens is when we reap we reap what we've shared with them. That's the joy of the things that we have for eternity is that when God has given me something and I've given it to someone else, it's up to him whether that takes root or not, but my harvest is going to be to see that righteousness grow because God allowed me to be a part of that process, if that makes sense. Peacemakers who sow in peace will have a harvest of righteousness. So let me just again identify that even though there's earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom and I'd love to say wow all I'd live by is heavenly wisdom of course that's what I choose all the time I know that that's absolutely not true of me I know that many times throughout the day there's a battle between those two types of wisdom often the problem is I'm not even thinking about God I'm just kind of going on autopilot and I'm just living out of earthly wisdom Way too much of my time is in earthly wisdom. And part of the process of maturing and surrendering to God is to say, no, I intentionally want to have the wisdom from God. Scripture is so encouraging by the examples it gives us. Let's think about Peter and Jesus. Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi, and he says to his disciples, he says, who do people say the Son of Man is? Oh, well, they say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah. But who do you say that I am? And it says that, that Peter says, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. 
And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. This was not earthly wisdom, but my Father who is in heaven. You just received heavenly wisdom. That's how you know who I am. So now, these are verses 13 to 17, starting verse 21. We hear another vignette. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, that this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter and he said, Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. The Bible is so open about how we struggle in living in complete unity with God. How do you think Peter felt after these interactions? So close together. Oh, Peter, that wisdom wasn't given to you by flesh and blood, but by God. Next, just a few moments later, I don't know the exact time, but Satan, get behind me. You are a hindrance to me. How do you think Peter felt in that interaction and that way that Jesus responded to him in both those ways? Know that God responds to you similarly throughout your life as we live in earthly wisdom or godly wisdom. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 12, verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I want to encourage you today that God disciplines the children he loves. So sometimes if you feel like you've just got a once-over from God, stop and don't complain and say, thank you, Lord, that you disciplined me. I needed to hear that hard and yet loving truth because I was living right by my own eyes and I wasn't living right by what your eyes are. I wasn't even thinking about what your wisdom was. Can you imagine, like Peter, he wasn't doing anything bad. He doesn't want his best friend to die. He doesn't want his best friend to get hurt. And that's what Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, because you're not thinking of the things of God. You're just thinking about the way man sees things. You need the big picture, and you can't have it on your own because my ways are far above your ways. And the only way you have heavenly wisdom is when you submit to me and receive it from me. So I thank God that he disciplines me. He doesn't punish me. He disciplines me so that I might know him and might see the danger of my living my life that belongs to him, my life, by my wisdom. Oh, I think this is what God would want. Oh, yeah, yeah, I should do this with my life. I'm going to ask God to bless it then. No. Thank God that he doesn't let us go down the wrong path too long. He's a loving dad who disciplines us. So as we come to a close, I just want to say our, our wisdom is recognized by our fruit. It's an introspective question first. When I look at my life, what kind of wisdom am I living by? You might want to ask some of your close friends to tell you by the way they look at your life. Ask them for that kind of feedback. 
So here's the question, which, which wisdom is your heart most drawn to? What is it that really brings you joy? And sometimes I have to be honest, yes, yeah, the earthly wisdom, that's what really I, I want. And I need God to change that within me. And this is what I really just want to drive home at the end here, is that this is something we can't do on our own. The Bible tells us, 1 Corinthians 1.24, Christ is the power of God and Christ is the wisdom of God. It's not just some substance we get, it's a person that we receive. And he doesn't just tell you to do something without enabling you to do it and giving you the power to do it. He is that power. He is that wisdom. He is that peace and righteousness. It's about him. So if you're not on this journey yet, I can tell you this, that the only way to get heavenly wisdom is first of all by accepting Jesus Christ and saying, Lord, I'm tired of doing life on my own. My life is yours. Take it. Be my life. Be my God. Be my everything. That's the starting place of receiving heavenly wisdom. And then I need to realize that as a Christian, I sure don't do this perfectly. And what I need to do to the best of my ability is to give every single effort, not to just live in wisdom, but no, to abide with Christ. Don't try to get wisdom Try Well, I shouldn't say it that way. What I mean this is don't try to get wisdom as like it's something outside of Christ. Christ is our wisdom. Do everything you can to abide with him. It's the most beautiful journey to be on. And it's a journey that we're meant to be on together. We belong to each other because we belong to Christ. And that's the message that the world needs to hear. Please join with me in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for today, a time where we can come and be reminded that we belong to you and that we belong to each other and that you have given us the beautiful gift of heavenly wisdom that's full of purity and peace and righteousness. Lord, help us to enjoy you more fully so that we can't contain the joy we have in you and that it overflows to everyone we know, our brothers and sisters in Christ, our neighbors, our co-workers, but Lord, that people will truly know through our good deeds that you exist, that you are wise, that you are good, that you are the source of all life. We thank you for the privilege of being your children. In Jesus' name, amen.